1: It took me a long time to get here. Both players have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're, both of them are keen to, to you now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas will get such a <laughs> shit shot next Saturday evening that we'll put them back <laughs> <out just for laughs> in their houses for 10 years. And it's a win that will thrill Gaelic fans, I'm sure, throughout the country. No disrespect to Dublin, but this will do a lot for Gaelic football. It will do a lot for the so-called weaker counties in a year where Clare emerged from Munster. Donegal came from Ulster, but the difference is they went the whole way.
0: So there you go, Con, and Jerk Hanning there, it'll do a lot for the so-called weaker counties. A very weird one putting Donegal in the so-called weaker counties categories, but that's where they (laughs) were. It seems like that
2: category gets bigger and bigger every year. Um, <laughs> like, were, were, were they a weaker country like they'd won the Ulster in 1990 they got to the final the year before that like 91 and lost the all Ireland Champions they went on to go to three National League finals in a row like yeah, a really
0: really strange one yeah it is a strange maybe like until the early 90s takeover by the Ulster counties all Ulster counties were seen as, as so-called weaker counties
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah but then down I suppose uh, blazed the trail and put an end to that uh, yeah. four, four years in a row was it yeah
0: yeah, yeah, brilliant stuff. Do you, do you notice Martin McHugh wrestling the ball off the referee at the end of the at the end of the game? He he wanted it, yeah. and the ref wanted to bring it off. Martin McHugh wasn't letting go. <laughs> I put up a clip of it on Twitter. There,
2: um, it's probably probably an illegal one to be honest with you, but uh, like I, I thought it was really weird. Like I don't know what the ref was doing, but somebody said to me that it's practice for the referee to give the ball to the
0: captain at the end of it. But like the ref is really fighting for it. Often it was it was I don't know it was bizarre. It was bizarre, yeah, definitely was. Because Claire, obviously, he's talk, uh, Canning is talking about Claire, who won the Munster final um, that year, too. Dublin had beaten them in the All Ireland semi final. Dublin were obviously unbackable favourites. Dublin did an open top bus tour of O'Connor Street after beating Claire in an All Ireland semi final. Can you actually get your head around that? Tommy Carr refused to go on it, and I wouldn't blame him. <laughs> yeah, that, like. Like, that that's, um,
2: of all the decisions in the GA down through the last 100-whatever years, Like that's probably one of the worst ones of all time. Like, I, I don't know, The Dublin think that they had the whole thing won? Like, they had won two Leicesters themselves in the last seven years, so it wasn't like they were coming in here. Like, you know, we've we we we've got the job done. Donegal, as we say, were, were a good side coming in. The, the Donegal team that won the Ulster in 1990 are pretty much the same as this team in '92. so... That was like that was really like I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know how the players let that go ahead. Imagine like that was brought up in the team meeting. Nobody would say go ahead with that.
0: Yeah, Desi Farrell was saying the whole thing was a disaster. We went down O'Connell Street, and sure, there were people coming back from work, and they were looking. Um, they were looking at us as if to say, "What are these? What is this crowd at these?" On the foot. <laughs> uh, look, I don't Tommy Carr. Obviously, was very experienced on that squad, and he didn't go you'd imagine that they all should have refused that. That was absolutely bizarre, you know? Like, I mean, it didn't make any sense. They had played each other in a league quarterfinal earlier on that year, and Dublin, or Donegal, were winning by five points. Dublin got two late goals. So I don't know. Based on, the, like, what you're saying, Donegal winning the the Ulster in 1990, you know, only been a point. Dublin had even two late goals to beat them in the league quarterfinal. You wonder how Dublin were going into this as unbackable favourites, really. Like, I mean... Um, at the at the end of the day Donegal were coming out of a very competitive Ulster it just seems weird maybe the fact that Dublin came through Leinster and Mead had Meade, Meade had been knocked out by Leash and you know Dublin came through a Leinster championship easily um, and you know and then accounted for Clare it just looked like their name their writing you know their name was on it or something
2: yeah but like yeah that's another good point If they had a beaten Kerry or Cork I suppose at the time in the semi-final and had it on top well she would maybe understand it a bit more be like oh well they put out the they put out the big dogs like you know that was a big skill they take but to be Claire who, what, that was their second ever monster title their first one since 1917 like surely they were expected to be Claire as well so I don't know what the what the celebrations were about and obviously the fans didn't yeah, they didn't give a shit about it based on what Desi Farrell said and Paul Curran had a good quote as well saying uh, absolutely nobody turned up we could have been on the
0: 77A to Tala Unbelievable stuff. Absolutely unbelievable. What did you make of the penalty? The penalty was a big turning point in the first half. Donegal took over. We'll analyse this in part two, but Colin Rook said on commentary, it was a harmless enough penalty. I think Desi Farrell made the most of it. He definitely kind of flew back. Like there was definitely, I don't want to use that word contact. I'll go crazy. But for that era, in 1992, it would go down in the category of a soft penalty.
2: Yeah, like to, to be honest, when you watch the whole game, I suppose, I suppose that's the context, the game. Like If you, you go at that now and you saw a penalty being given, you, you'd understand it. But when you watch that game, it's just like hits flying in. Like, you know, every time Vinnie Murphy won the ball, he was being fired. Like, you know, so that was, that was very soft. And like, to be honest, I didn't notice it to start off with because there's so many late hits and, and hard hits going in. So yeah. when the refs stopped the game, I was wondering what the hell was he doing it for. I definitely like if they had a not given it. Like I don't think it ever would have brought up again. You know, nobody would have thought that Dublin got screwed over there. Like Colin, Colin Murray is on fire this school I actually think he's real, really uh, missing from from that job. Like it. He talked about uh, Martin McHugh's miraculous medal not helping him when he, when he missed a free and uh, Terry, Terry Redmond hit one, like he hit and blazed one out to the sideline and he was like, he must have a problem with someone in the Art Corlia yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, he was he was good in that
0: role. Gerard Canning got a great laugh out of the Art Corlia joke, didn't he? Gerard Canning was really <laughs> yeah. splitting his sides laughing yeah. about. But it, it started <laughs> It started a run of bad uh, of penalty misses for Charlie Redknapp. It didn't start it because he missed one in the nineteen eighty eight Leinster final. Then he missed one, obviously against Donegal. He missed one in the ninety four All Ireland final against Down as well. So, like, I mean, you know, he didn't have a good overconfidence. I would say when, when going for the top corner like that. Like, I mean, there were two points up that was going to put them five up. You know, it, it kind of played into the whole Dublin thought they could only show up and win this one.
2: Yeah, like you, you never see a penalty. Like that, like the with the instep started trying to curl it into the top right corner. Like that's that is real confidence. That's the stuff you, you fuck around with for training. Like you know, um I don't know at what at what stage do you step in there and
0: say that you don't want him hitting them anymore? Like <laughs> he's not going to really score a big game. Yeah, no, definitely. So Haggerty was the one pushed Desi Farrell. It was an interesting bit of information in that Haggerty, uh, Noel Haggerty, and Desi Farrell were very good friends. They would have been in around the same age group. And Desi obviously has relations in Donegal. We've all seen the picture of himself and Seamus Coleman. And he used to train with Glenn Column kill which was Noel Hegarty's club. So it was interesting to see that the two of them were marking each other. And it was funny, Noel Hegarty's on record for saying that after he gave away the penalty, John Joe fucked him out of it. And started to clean and dirt, started cleaning and dirt out of his studs and throwing it at Desi Farrell. <laughs> <Like that. laughs> yeah, I was actually. Uh, I wouldn't put that past John
2: Joe Doherty Like even just from that game, like geez, he is manic, isn't he? Like, he, like I had yeah. him and Heger. just written down like we we'll, we'll probably I don't know will they be mentioned in performance of the weekend, but like just wholehearted players and John Joe Doherty Like uh, I'm surprised that he
0: wasn't in the team automatically because. Like, he would die for it. Like, he would literally die for it. He, he was only in it because sh- uh, Shovlin got injured in the week leading up. And I'm surprised he wasn't injured by John Judd actually, because John knocked, <laughs> he, he knocked Declan Botter out in training in the lead up. Like, I mean, imagine a fella who's just primed for this all Ireland final. Like, I mean, Jesus... <laughs> he is the sort of player that you want to stay the hell away from at training
2: and the week up to a big game <laughs> you're just yeah, trying to keep yourself taken over and then he's just running mad trying to, trying to deliberately injure lads so he can get onto the team
0: exactly there's an incredible story coming out of this and it is Joyce McMullen who marked Paul Curran and was outstanding on Paul Curran Paul Curran it's not like Joyce McMullen was outstanding himself but I say his job was to keep Paul Curran quiet and he did there was None of Paul Curran's unbelievable runs up the field, you know, with his speed and his class, and he actually mm. was started to really frustrate uh, Curran to the point where Curran was spocking back at him, which wasn't kind of his game. But before the game, um, his brother Gerard um, had been battling cancer, and Brian McInniff got a message before the match to tell him that his brother Gerard, that Joyce's brother Gerard, had 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 died. So McInniff didn't know what to do before the game. Here he says, "Do I do I tell?" Uh, Joyce about his brother or do I say nothing and McIniff decided to wait until after the final whistle to tell him so in the dressing room then everybody's jumping around and they're ecstatic and they're celebrating and then this news broke that Gerard's um, brother was after passing away and it took the sting out of the celebrations and it was terrible and then they found out that it, this, this was a lie and that his brother was was alive I've never heard anything like this before in my life
2: yeah, like that's like a classic. Um, people would scold social media nowadays, you know, for spreading these rumors and stuff. It's it's amazing to think that that's happening in in '92. Like so so bizarre. Everything from Brian MacInnis finding out and Joyce not finding out, and then MacInnis withholding the information, and then and then telling them in the midst of their celebrations, and then not being true. Like it, Oh, I, I, it's a it's a horrible story. <laughs> like um, I don't know what I would do if I was in Brian MacInnis' shoes there but I would definitely try and get it verified before I told somebody that their brother had passed away.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Come here, Colin, we'll leave it there because Tony Boyle is after joining us, joining us on the line there. Now, Tony, we're talking about this, um, unbelievable Joyce McMullen story. Um, do you remember that going around the dressing room after the match?
1: Yeah I call it but it was completely surreal I remember after the match I actually went upstairs in the Hogan stand to do an interview at the local radio station Highland Radio so I was a wee bit late but Seven Barry McGoan were, were a bit late getting into the dressing room and the dressing room was still sort of fairly thronged with people and I could remember Mike Enough and, and the doc, doc Austin trying to get people out and <clears throat> got them out and you're and there was a there was a there was a nearly quietness and you knew something was wrong and, and I seen them getting Joyce brought him into the the, the, the old dressing room, very 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 small brought him into the brought him into the into the shower area and told him and you knew he was distraught and obviously then we were we were told and it just went from pure elation to just a. Everyone was just in complete shock, you know. And I I, I remember it went from there then. You go outside the old dressing rooms, and I remember meeting my own mother and father, and, you know, they were just, everyone was going mad outside, but nobody realised what what had happened and why everyone was so sad coming out of the dressing room, you know. And there was a bit of a murmur then. We spoke, you know, we were telling our own families what had happened, and everyone was sort of sad until eventually we met, I think it was Joyce's mother. And Joyce, Joyce or jo, sorry, Joyce's sister, and she told Joyce that she had already spoken to Jared about half an hour before, and everything was grand. And but it was absolutely, it was a, it was a real a real high to a real low to back to a real high when we knew that when we knew that
0: Jared was okay. But Jesus was really Christ! Really and did, did had time. you had you any suspects about who would have done that? Like, would that have been a Dublin supporter trying to throw you off, or was there any talk about how where this came from? You know what, Colin? We never even we never really even spoke about it
1: afterwards, you know, because right. uh, so there was there was no mention of it. There was no mention of you know. Brain obviously knew beforehand, never mentioned it. You know, we were totally focused on on the game itself, and obviously I, the elation afterwards, and and I suppose Brain Brain eventually knew that he had to he had to tell Joyce this. And listen, after an All Ireland final, there's cameras in the dressing room, and it, I would say it was probably a good. It might have been a good hour after the, the actual final hustle before. You got the just the team and only the team, you know. And I suppose looking back, you didn't really have the same sort of maybe crack in the dressing room that you would have had with the team and that space and that sort of when when everyone got back together because of of Brian having to break the news. And but we never really listen. We were just so happy afterwards. Again, Colin, when we got outside, when when Joyce's sister confirmed that she had been speaking to she'd been speaking to Jared and that that Jared was fine. You know, we never yeah. we never really discussed it afterwards. I or listen, it wasn't
0: discussed in my company anyway. Right, right, okay. You were very quietly confident going into this game but you were given no chance at all, were you?
1: No, we exactly. We were, listen, up, up until the semi-final against me, oh, it was all fairly new to me. Column I was only in the squad two years and yeah. I, only, I only came in the squad in 1990 and listen, I thought this, this, is, this happened every year. I played in All-Ireland semi-final in 1990 against me and we lost Ulster final in '91. We won an Ulster final in '92, and now we're in an All Ireland final. I thought this was this was quite normal for Donegal football because I didn't really I didn't really follow it much before he started playing. But we we hadn't won a senior competitive match in Co. Park up until the Mayo match and in, in the semi-final, and that was a, you could see from the older players that was a massive massive monkey off the back and. Listen, we trained very, very hard, and and it was very intense. Like I, I remember, in one of the training sessions in the lead up to the final, that Declan was Declan was knocked out cold. John Joe had him on his shoulder, knocked him out cold, and a and a back three forwards. And the players' thing was just drag him off, get another man in, and we kept going. And but you, you did you did get the the stories coming from Dublin that Dublin were already preparing for their celebrations and that. So we were we were confident, and we were quietly confident with what our group could do. But also the fact that Dublin seemed to seem to think it was only a matter of turning up, you know. So yeah. that that probably was a bit of an advantage for us.
0: We were talking about it on the show that at the start of the show there that Dublin had had did an open top bus parade after their semi final against Clare. I'm sure you probably heard <laughs> heard word of that. We didn't hear
1: about that, but we, we didn't know whether it was true or not. But we did we did see. <laughs> I remember seeing pictures of the team, uh, and I sent one recently—a picture of Vinnie, Vinnie Murphy—that the 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 later's with uh, Dublin 1992 All Ireland champions on it. They were they were in circulation, and I think there was glasses as well, paint glasses with Dublin 1992 All Ireland champions. Listen, that was extra motivation for us, you know. Uh, and I think, listen, you know, talking to Dublin players of the 92, the 92 Dublin players, you know. After that, well, after that, after they had finished up, you know, they did they did admit that they thought it was only a matter of turning up. You know, that they thought that they were out of the four teams that were left in the semi final. They 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 thought by far they were the strongest team left. You know, they definitely underestimated us.
0: Yeah, no, they definitely. You mentioned Vinnie Murphy there. She's like, I mean, it was a tale of two 14s, two target men. Both men played well. She's keep Barr, a free off the ground and just launch Now they were way too obvious with this, but she's Vinnie Murphy was a freak of nature. The way he was able to get up and claim those balls. <laughs>
1: Unbelievable! I, well, um, I I just watched a bit, of, watched the first half of it last night. I uh, when I when I seen it up on YouTube, until my daughters told me that they realised that they thought I played a lot better than I actually did, so I turned it <laughs> off. But Vinnie was on real, Vinnie was on real in the air, and, like our, we we knew that was part of our Dublin's play. That listen, Barry's going to take 60, 70 yards, and and if you if you watch some of the highlights, you'll see Malloy Malloy would have went back in front of Vinnie and Mac. But the amount of times Vinny was fit to catch it over Malloy's head, which is not easy easy done. But like the, the, the second part of the plan if Vinny caught it was we had to get men around him, you know, which which we did. But Vinny still won a hell of a lot of ball and you know had had a couple of goal chances later on that if he'd have get one of them it might have been it may have been a, a different um, it may have been a different outcome. But I hey, we were we were glad we held out in the end.
0: Yeah, you definitely were. you played them in the league quarter final and you had them beaten uh, you were five points up, and they got two late goals um, to beat you. So suppose that would have given you confidence that you were a match for them.
1: But I, I, but I, Colin, we were we were in bad, we were in a bad place at that time. We were we were five points up in injury time, and um, they got. I think Vinny got one, and maybe Paul Clark. And and the, the famous story went that Charlie Redmond came back out uh, to Noel Hegarty and said, "It's never over to the fat lady sings." And I think that was in the back of Noel's mind and I think he gave Charlie a touch late on in the in the final in ninety two about about the fat lady clearing her throat <laughs> hey, when it was going down to the last couple of minutes. But I hey, we we lost we lost that quarter of the final column. We played Monaghan and Bally Bay the following week in making in a cup match and we were bait out the gate and listen As I said, I was really new to the thing and it was a fairly, fairly low ebb. And and to be fair to the wee man, he spoke in the dressing room that day in Bally Bay to say, listen, we're not training hard enough. We need to put in a bigger effort. And I would would look back and I would think that that was a, a massive turning point in our season because we had a lot of players that were looking at possibly retire in the next you know the next number of months and uh, they went into that championship of 1992 of you know we're going to give it everyone's going to give it everyone everything especially the older guys and that you know this could be every game could be their last game and I think sort of we played through that, that championship like that you know and, get, and especially the older boys give that bit, bit extra you know to make sure that this wasn't their last ever, ever. any of the championship games wasn't going to be the last take out in the champ, in, in a Donegal jersey you know and I think it helped us in the end up
0: Yeah. You had a shaky start to the game. Um, You had an early wide after a brilliant run um, that normally you tap over. Martin McHugh had a a free early free that he missed and then he took a quick free and it was intercepted. And if you were watching the game live, you'd be thinking, geez, Donegal are nervous here. And Dublin had started the better.
1: Yeah, I him as I said, I watched a bit of it the first half of it last night and, and it, did, it did look very much like that way. That way, You know, I missed an easy chance. Martin must have freed it. Normally he'd score. I think really it wasn't until Charlie missed the penalty that we probably maybe settled down. Uh, that, that probably gave us a bit of a lift and, and it was a downer for them. And Martin, I think, kicked a very good score when he ran directly at, at bar and kicked it over the bar. So, hey, we were nervous, I suppose. My first time ever in an Ireland final. It was always going to be a big occasion, but I think when we did settle down then, um, you know, I think we started playing a bit of the football and probably that 20 minutes spell before half time, where you know where we kicked maybe six or seven points, maybe not in a row, but six six or seven very good points to give us a bit of a lead going into half time. I think that was the that was a big part of the game for us for us then. We got in we got in at half time then and we got settled down. You know, but it was a it was a nervous start, but probably. Taking into account it was her first All-Ireland all was probably
0: to be expected. Yeah, Jeez, you're right. The penalty miss um, really did spark you into life and you completely dominated midfield then after that. Malai and Murray just cleaned up all together. It's like every kick out John O'Leary kicked was being sent back in on top of him.
1: Right. I think everyone... You know, when you when you talk about the ninety two final, everyone remembers Manus' performance in the nine points. But I, when you when you do watch it again, Malloy had a massive seventy minutes. He got a
2: three
1: yeah. power a power around in the middle. And, and to be fair to Brain to, to Big Sham around the middle him, you know, Brain, I up until he got hurt, done very well. And I suppose that is bonus column was, you know, we, we took Barry Cunningham off the bench and Barry played very, very well in that in it's that excellent you know, we probably struggled for them first couple of couple, as of, I say, ten minutes around the middle of the field as well. But the boys completely, and that that was the platform. Then that sort of, that was the platform. Then that that um, that, that sort of set us on our way. Even though yeah, I would still say, as a full forward, Malloy still sent sent some hail marys in, and around his career. <laughs> Didn't, at times you didn't know where they were going, you just had to, you had to second guess and try to be on on, on them. But I, um, they, they they put in a savage seventy minutes around around midfield for us. That that's that's for sure.
0: You did, he, Camir. You won the you won the throw in in the very first half, and Malai got it, and he kind of no look passed it straight down the middle. Uh, was that a set? <laughs> was that a set move? You came out and won it. I'm just wondering, was that a, a pre practice move or were they a, a, on the go back then?
1: Well, I don't think it's like a no look. Uh, the past, like Ronaldinho or Ronaldo would do, but not. To be fair, I, our plan was one to kick out, and Mike Mike would drop a wee bit short and leave the space in front of me. And it was that—that that was the plan. Just get it straight into me, and I was delighted because. My game, I would always base my game, call him i try and won the first ball, put the doubt in the full back and I, I managed to win it, draw the free of Jerry Harrigan. Yeah. Would have been disappointed because Mark, Martin normally like I, I thought it was further out until I seen it again this night. Like it was a good five yards inside if Martin at a disease, would've normally but I suppose that that was a bit of nervousness again, you know. But that that was our play. One the wonderful throw one, get it into me. Declan Manis were normally were normally hoping I would get absolutely Mauled and in front of the goals, and both them would sprint and to see who who would get the handy tap over free. Uh, <laughs> that was normally how the, how how it, how it used to pan out. But no, right. that 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 was the ploy from from the throw or eight.
0: Well, I'd say you were fuming when he missed that free because there's nothing worse than getting winning a good free and then for it to be missed is like your your all your work has gone to waste. I'll tell you,
1: Colin, when you were playing in that full forward lane for for uh, for a couple of years, I. Eh? Uh, you got you got used to it. Eh? You got absolutely <laughs> used to it. As I as I used to tell the lads, you'd be laying up after maybe a eh, Conor Deegan or Mick Lyons or someone after nearly eh, cutting you in two, and Manus and Declan pulling the ball off you had to see who could get the, the handy tap over free. But listen, as long as we went over the bar and the end up, that was that was the main thing.
0: I thought you played a, a like. I mean, okay, there was a few kind of hail mary balls went in, but we we did a show on the ninety six final um, last week, and there was way more in that. I thought you played for that for that era ninety two. You did play some nice controlled football, um, you know, as well. I thought Dublin were the one launching kind of uh, hail mary balls more than more than uh, Donegal. Um, to be very calm, with uh, that,
1: and probably as I said, that first ten minutes were. You know, there was nerves and it was a matter of maybe trying, boys trying to get the ball in as early as possible. But we did develop that game, you know, and to be fair, the wee man would have been would have been central to that. Because Malloy, you know, and as I said, I was only in the squad for the two years. In 1991, Malloy would have a habit, you know, he'd fetch it out of the clouds and maybe just launch it straight away without thinking. Whereas, you know, the wee man, Malloy, you'd see at a couple of clubs that he'd be nearly soloing around in a circle till till Martin would come up come round. Come around the back of him, take it off him, and then once McHugh knew it, once McHugh was on it, then I knew, I knew then that was my time to make the run, you know. So it did develop, and obviously the, the running game where it wasn't a lot of people didn't like it, but hey, Colin, we had very, very good natural footballers, like Noel Hegarty, Barry McGowan, two cornerbacks, would have played most of their football out around midfield, club football, so natural on the ball, so it was probably a big advantage to us that a lot of our, from one to 15, every, every player was very, very comfortable on the ball, you know, and that that probably, that's why our game developed, that we were, you know, we, we developed into a possession, a possession type team, but what the, what the, with the added added plan B that they could drive it in drive it into me and hopefully I would be fit of one it and pop it off to the two corner forwards and that was that was really that was re- really where
0: it developed. Yeah. It's an unbelievable watching it back because I remember like distinctly Donegal having a different style to all the other teams back then and using the hand pass a lot more. And Colin O'Rourke said in the commentary, if you heard it yesterday it was a classic. It really stuck out for me. It was after three hand passes um, in your back line he says again a problem there for Donegal three players had to hand Not pass it in the back line before anyone kicked it no reason why the ball couldn't have been got forward much quicker so this was after three very positive hand passes it ended up with Anthony Malloy, who gave a bad ball into you and I was like Jesus Christ that was the, if, if you were to imagine Colin Rourke back then was seeing a, a game you know from the future <laughs> like, on 15 years he looked like he looked like he moved the ball incredibly fast compared to what we've been used to Aye, no, absolutely. And I would say, Column as well, <clears throat> if you remember the 92 goals final, the uh, final,
1: John Cunningham was sent off just before half-time, and we went we went into that second half, again, uh, against the one in against Derry, a very good Derry team, and again, it was the wee man you know, speaking at half-time after after and spoke, that the important thing, we couldn't give away the ball, we couldn't kick the ball away, because if we kicked the ball away against 15, uh, 15 men, we were going to be on the back foot, and uh, that that was probably a better performance in, at 35 minutes in the second half in, in clonus where we held on to the ball and, and, and kept it short without kicking the ball away you know and I would, I would agree like and I remember laughing when I heard Colin saying that like it wasn't the done thing that listen you get it and you kick it whatever way you're facing but Donegal as I said had a, had, a, had 15 natural footballers from, from, from 1 to 15 that were very very comfortable on the ball and I didn't feel the need just to just to boom it up the up the field. Well maybe by Rambo, Rambo would give an odd. which <laughs> <Rambo laughs> would send one into the clouds now and again. But but it definitely it definitely was the, was a time where the where maybe football and Tony go started as a changer in the early nineties.
0: Yeah, no listen, it definitely was. Camille, you mentioned that you made your you made your debut against our man, the Ulster final. You made your first ever start in an all Ireland semi final um what age were you? Nineteen twenty walking into Mark McLions?
1: Yeah. I, that was that was my first start, Colman. And, and uh, listen, it, it was I. As I said at the start, I thought this is great. If this is if this is what playing for Donegal seniors, because as I said, listen, Colman, I, I played minor and I played on the twenty one. But I would have been played any time the seniors would have been playing. I would have been playing soccer with the local soccer club, so I wouldn't have seen Donegal playing a senior game. I think I seen them once before I actually started playing with them, playing with them myself. So Jeez. I it was a, it was an unbelievable start to. to to have the honour to get or be marked by McLean's you know. So did you did you know uh, who McLean's was then? I didn't know. I would have known because, funny enough, on the lead up to that semi final, the amount of phone calls that I got that week, people, uh, well, you know, passing on the best wishes and, and giving me the advice and that. But you people saying don't don't look into his eyes when you go down. Don't shake his hand. <laughs> don't don't do this. Don't do that. And to be fair, I, Colm, and, and I and I said it. And lucky, I got I was lucky enough to meet Colin uh, or Mick at a, an all star some years later. I walked down and Mick was standing. On the, I always remembered on the 14 yard line on the, on the hill they were defending the hill, and he was just staring out, and he just stared straight out. So I I I on my head, am I going to shake his hand? so i decided if he if he offered his hand absolutely a shake his hand but if he's not gonna offer his hand i'm not going to offer my hand and I, he didn't and i didn't and it stood beside him but i have to say listen i that 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 60 minutes or 70 minutes call him, mick never hit one dirty stroke, never opened his mouth i when you when you were in possession he hit you with everything that he got you know but i yeah. I, I, I i remember meeting him afterwards and i and i i, I apologized to him that i didn't offer him i i didn't offer him my hand because i I, I was I suppose first ever game you didn't you were you were a wee bit wary if you had done something that you, you didn't know how you'd react to and it could put you on the back foot you know but it was uh, it was uh, it was a nice a nice a nice place to make your debut that's for sure
0: no definitely why did he have a reputation for like squeezing your hand or maybe giving you a dig as you shook it was this kind of going through your head
1: listen hi I, I don't know but that's what people were that's what people were telling me, you know, and I think people were <laughs> do, being genuine and giving you best watches. So I just didn't yeah. listen, I didn't want to I didn't want to do something that might have sort of sorta upset me or, or got or or for him to get in my name. But to be fair, as I said, I Mick never never opened his mouth, never had a dirty stroke. I but I by God when you want it if you want it in front of him he hit you with absolutely everything he got you know but it was a and, and my only regret I always remember we played them in the league in Navin in the following year and I was looking forward because I had a couple of games under my belt and I was looking forward to getting you know another crack at him <laughs> yeah. I remember then he played mid, or he played midfield that day and they stuck Mark McCollum in full back and I that was a different a different kettle of fish altogether the great Mark McCollum aye Absolutely up and down up and down the field like full are now and I had no intentions chasing
0: anyone up and down the field call that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh tell me about it. Toddy, thanks very much for taking the call. <laughs> no bother call, all right. I want you to talk us through the goal you scored in the county final after 15 seconds I want you to tell me when you had goal on your mind yeah you probably had a few 15 seconds experiences yourself (laughs) uh... okay so Donegal 18 points Dublin 14 points and this was a completely convincing win for Donegal. I think Colin O'Rourke said it in the in the commentary at the end of the game. And he was right. A completely a dominating first-half performance outside of the first 10 minutes. And really were in control in the second half um, as well. Other than a little Dublin rally where they got three in a row to put three in it. Donegal by far the better team, Colin.
2: Yeah, I think so. Again, like, to be honest, I think they had their matchups right all over the place. They were, the only place I'd say that they probably didn't have it right, but I don't know what else they could have done, is uh, Matt Gallagher was really struggling on Vinny Murphy. Yeah. But, like, you, made, you made mentioned Joyce McMullen there Mark like, on Curran, because that was interesting <laughs> at halftime. Like, obviously McMullen had a quiet game in the first half. He came in, he did a big way on the ball in the second half, but, like, Jerry Canning was talking about him or talking about Curran having an easy day so far, it's like, no, Rick McMullen's there taking yeah. off Curran going yeah. forward. Like, so I think
0: all over the pitch, they, they had it, right? Yeah, no, definitely. Vinny Murphy was a freak of nature. Like I mean, when you think back on what that man was doing, now, he was so, such a freak of nature that Dublin arguably would play better with it without him in the team because they became so predictable and so one-dimensional that... It just became so obvious what they were trying to do, and you had Anthony Malai and you had Brian Murray at times going back, standing in front of him. Vinny still catching it over him, but it, then Vinny being surrounded by about five defenders.
2: Yeah, like that's it's interesting because I was thinking about this like when I was watching this. Like it, it obviously they just kept putting it on top of him, right? So it was predictable and it was just one dimensional, as you say, but. But it kept working, like you know, even with Malloy going back. Tim Murphy just kept winning the ball, or like a break would go to somebody. On one hand, I was thinking this is a bit of a waste of all the players at Dublin have, like Sheedy and Farrell, who were like, you know, they're class players, and you probably could have used them a bit more. But it, it never didn't work. Like it wasn't like a wasted ball. And Tim Murphy, they always seemed to have a chance out of it. So I don't know. As long as it was working, I would be thinking like, just keep putting it in on top of them. Like it's, it's, you know, it's still holding up.
0: Yeah, and even Desi Farrell caught one. Um, in the first half and scored a point and that was meant for Vinny as well it's just what well, I'd say Noel, <laughs> Hegarty Noel Hegarty couldn't believe that it was Desi after catching it because it was I think it was from him <laughs> and here Jeez, they really went to but the keep bar freeze they were just perfect floaters for Vinny like who just got so far off the ground it was unreal
2: yeah like that's like yeah like you don't see a tactic like that nowadays where the centre-backs putting the ball on the ground and throwing it far and high into the full forward It like got. That's your main source of attack, like and it's a deadly one. And as you said, like they they couldn't they couldn't answer, like Vinnie Murphy, I was talking about Matt Gallagher there. I don't know what else I would have done because I don't think anybody would have come to him and, and Gallagher versus strong on the ground and Murphy like wasn't like you know turning and getting a shot at goal, but he just seems to have this like he, he's not he's not that big, is he? Like he just seemed to have no. this like impeccable timing. Like it he, oh, he was always up at the very highest point. At the perfect time, Do you know what I mean. He'd be catching the ball
0: yeah. as high as he could every time. No, it was it was timing because he's not. I'd actually say I could be taller than him. I don't want to uh, really. Met I've met him. He's not tall. He's a, he's a short enough. It's just the height he gets up and the timing. Unbelievable. Um, he he did an unbelievable game. I was talking to uh, Tony Boyle there about Colin O'Rourke's quote in the first half. It was absolutely when you hear quotes like this because we had a similar one with Michael Dignan in the her, on the hurling show last Thursday. Here's a Colin Morrow uh, quote again. A problem there, Donegal. Three players had to hand pass it in the back line before anyone kicked it. No reason why that ball <laughs> couldn't have been. No reason why that ball couldn't have been got forward much quicker. This was after three hand passes by defenders, all positive, none sideways or backwards, all forwards, um, and it ended up getting to um, Anthony Malloy, who kicked a bad pass to Tony Boyle. So they actually worked it up to midfield to get a nice ball into the forwards and Colin Warwick goes, this is outrageous. What are they doing wasting their time without putting their boots through it? <laughs> yeah, and he, he wasn't alone because like, uh, Jared beside him, he said, Donegal's
2: possession game isn't everyone's cup of tea. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what's going on? And, like, you're right, like they, they were humping it, like, you, Gary Walsh, like, he was literally kicking the ball 65 yards every time he had the ball on his tee, or it wasn't even the tee back then, and then, like, yeah, they worked the three midfields sometimes, but then they just lumped it in, and then they let the two balls, and they let McHugh get off the shoulder, like, they, they had no problem, like, unleashing it, a lot, like, sometimes too much, where you're thinking, ah, there's nothing on there, like, they, they kicked the thing in.
0: Yeah, it's just unbelievable when we go through the times we went through with the possession game and the backwards hand passes, you know, to think that what Donegal were doing in 1992 was a possession based type of game. It's just unbelievable the, the way the game went. They were on unorth- Donegal were kind of unorthodox for the time, though. Like, I mean, Tony Boyle always stayed inside. Manus Boyle could be found out drifting out. Uh, Declan Bonner always drifting out. You, you, the two wing forwards are very, very, very work uh, orientated forwards you know, who were all over the place. And then Martin McHugh kind of dropping into midfield at times as well. That was, it was a little bit unorthodox for the time.
2: Yeah. I, see, to be honest, actually, I thought they were like, <laughs> the possession game, quote-unquote, actually could have hurt Dublin more if they, if they had to use it more. Like, once Cunningham came on in the second half and Malloy started running, two McHughes came deeper for the ball, they started running at them, McMullen like got into it. Like, Dublin didn't really know what to do because these boys were running past the markers and then getting in behind. And, like, it, yeah. it was... In context of 1992 and in context of most of that game, it, it looked completely different where these boys were just running at them and then they were finding passes easier. Like, I probably started laying the groundwork to start changing the game throughout the 90s.
0: Yeah, but Barry Cunningham coming to midfield in the second half was a was a, a huge one. He he won. I thought this was massive because McHugh missed an early free. And you can clearly see on the camera, Keith Barr trash-talking Martin McHugh. And Keith Barr is this, yeah. you know, hockey dog, brilliant centre-back and all these things. Marmacue made Keith Barr respect him so much in the first half that Barr started following him all over the place then, man-marking him, and Barry Cunningham got that, that free in the second half completely wide open in the middle that he's burst. He's just bursting uh, down through because Keith Barr had gotten to the point where I just have to mark this fella.
2: Yeah, I thought I thought that was a, a brilliant bottle, Luke, because, like, Barr was struggling with McHugh's runs, and McHugh's gets on the ball and turns, but I thought like, you know, Barr Bar had a massive interception on them in the first half, and it looked like McHugh might have been going through. He won a lot of kickouts from John O'Leary, like, you know, and then we talked about his freeze and the Vinnie Murphy, like, that was a really good battle with those two, I thought, like, you know, I don't know who, who even edged it, because I thought Barr still had a massive game himself.
0: Yeah, he, well, he got on a lot of ball and he was actually targeted by Donegal. He was fouled a good few times um, early in the game when, when uh, he got it. But Donegal, after the, the missed penalty, Donegal just completely took over in midfield. Like, I mean, Brian Murray was outstanding. Now, a bit wasteful with some of his kicking, but sure, can you be critical of that when that was the kind of, you know, the game back then? And Anthony Malloy, he was, he was outstanding the whole way through the game. But jo, John O'Leary's kickouts just were coming straight back in on top of him. You know, like, I mean... Uh, Donegal were really flying um, at that stage Martin McHugh got a good point then from the next kick out Declan Bonner stuck it over the bar you know and like it was all Donegal at that stage Well did you
2: think that uh, like so Paul Bealing came on and he was good right but did you think that that was almost like the Vinny Murphy effect in midfield where I think that worked against Dublin uh, in a sense like the, like it was like John O'Leary kept going long to him then because he had a big man in the middle of the pitch but Actually, he was he was more effective when he was picking passes out to Keith Far or Jack Sheedy coming short and like O'Leary was finding these boys on the wing. But then once they had a big man in the middle, he started looking for him. And as you said, like Tommy midfield had taken over at that stage. So I don't know, it sort of worked against them. I thought.
0: Yeah, I thought Beelan did make a difference in the. I thought Beelan definitely made a difference from kickouts in the second half. That was a very obvious change that they made. Uh, that they really had to make. Yeah, they were they were struggling before then. I suppose even from the Donegal kickouts then, like they needed a big they needed someone who could compete with these two Donegal midfielders in the air. They didn't seem to have anyone in the first half at all.
2: No, well like, it was interesting, like you like, probably have a better handle uh, than me back back around nineteen eighty two, but um somebody yeah. said in commentary beforehand the much maligned Dublin line midfield, uh, just before the game. So like I don't know were they being criticized before the match or not.
0: Yeah, well Paul Clark, Paul Clark was a wing forward in ninety five when they won it you know, he would have been more of a I do He wasn't a fetching midfielder, anyways. Do you know, I don't know too much about um, the other midfielder, but he—he he was. Def- they were definitely roasted um, in the first half. think all the two goal chances as well. Um, James McHugh off the post after a long ball by Declan Bonner, and then a brilliant move for the man as Boyle point, which should have been a goal. Um, it was a brilliant long clearance by Martin Gavigan. Now I'm going to say it was a pass, a long, long pass. He found Bonner on the half forward line. It was one of the longest long pass and the highest long passes he ever did. But it, it bounced straight into Bonner's stomach or chest. So I'm I'm saying that that was a pass. Then he hand passed to Malloy, who was running off his shoulder. Then another pass into Tony Boyle, hand passed it across to Manus Boyle, and it went a a point off the crossbar. That was beautiful football in any era. Yeah, and that was a like that was a big hand
2: pass as well from Malloy into Tony Boyle, like one of those big thumps, but. That, that's what Donegal had, especially for that move. Like they had boys coming off the shoulder. Like it was just textbook stuff. Like and that—that's probably textbook again in any era. Like the, every time the ball went in, however long it was, somebody was coming off the shoulder, but with a half forward or a full forward. Like so, like they did. They sort of connected the dots really well. I thought.
0: Yeah, we like we we watched the uh, we did the myself and Connor did the nineteen ninety six uh, replay last Thursday, mm-hmm. and this was a much higher quality game than ninety six, even though it was four years before. You know, the now the ninety six was wind and uh, rain, you know, and it was a replay. So there was a lot of tension on it, but seemed to seem to be a lot more kicking the ball away in that Mead Mayo game in ninety six than there was in nineteen ninety two. I think this was a very very good quality game a top top class All-Ireland final at this time
2: yeah definitely maybe what helped that as well you had just such strong forwards who were all able to hold their own like they were almost like hurling forwards like you know where they were they were solid and they had a good core and they were scrapping for the ball that went in but in fairness I think the players had their heads up a lot more and yes they were they were lumping it 60 yards sometimes but like there was boys coming like how many times you see Declan Bonner flame hair just coming running out and like, you know, he was about 10 yards away from his man. I don't know how good the defender was or not, but these boys were all looking and the ball was going into them. Um, it was like, you know, well, there was end to end as well, I suppose, like that's probably always a good thing in any
0: any era. Yeah, just before half time like you mentioned, Charlie booted the ball into the stand. Um, Paul Curran was uh, fouled by Joyce McBullen and he kind of stood on his leg. It was a complete accident and Curran jumped up and kind of punched him and you could kind of tell that uh, Dublin were starting to get frustrated they were starting to get a little bit rattled and then Martin McHugh got a great point and you could clearly see on the camera Barr coming back out to mark him and not a dicky bird said by Barr at this stage <laughs> do you know what I mean like, I mean, it was like <laughs> you know this. the dynamic of this game has completely changed that was the stuff like see when you combine all that stuff like how early that they started getting very
2: frustrated at Dublin like remember Donegal didn't go ahead until 20-25 like, minutes or something like Dublin got frustrated very, very quickly, and when you combine that with their bloody open-top bus celebrations and stuff, it did seem that like, they were probably complacent and didn't expect such a big test. And like once things started going wrong, it was very hard for them to put it right because like he saw like a lot of them individually just complaining at different times.
0: Yeah, no, the, I think I think in the second half, Dublin probably started going for goals a little bit too early, didn't they? Charlie Redmond did it twice, Finney had forced one kind of trying to walk it into the goals off his left and it was almost like relax do you know, like I mean they had lost their kind of game at that stage, I think Dublin did and actually a feature of the second half Manus Boyle had a block on McDeegan uh, Martin McHugh was in the in his back line there were, there were, a lot of their forwards ended up in the backs and you know kind of I don't know, tr- Dublin were kind of thrown out of kilter by, by Donegal in the game yeah, I think so. And with, with the Dublin
2: Dublin had to put Kur no, they put Herey back on Deck and Bonner, but then Sir Deck and Bonner was still happy enough to follow him the whole way back, although Heary got a nice nice point out of it. But once they got in front, yeah, they were like they were just seeing seeing the thing out. The boys were working hard. And like yeah, like I, I think that the, the fact that the Dublin lads were getting frustrated probably fed into the Donegal mentality
0: as well, that they they knew they had them on the ropes. Yeah, they definitely did. I thought for Declan Bonner's winning point, Paul Curran, very, very poor defending. He completely, well, it wasn't really a winning point. It was more the insurance point rather than the winning point. Paul Curran completely rushed in, uh, knowing that Declan Bonner's strongest leg was his left. and uh, Declan Bonner just cuts back in on it and scores that point.
2: <laughs> I think that's what they call, uh, even though he's a wing wingbacker, they call a forwards tackle, where he was trying to be seen to be making a tackle. And like you don't have to do anything after it, so you commit yourself and you've done your best, and you're out of it. Too. <laughs> you don't have to keep going.
0: Like You'd always you know, you see a lady forward doing something like that. Yeah, no, it definitely was, but it, it was definitely poor defense But then again, other than the time Dublin got it back to three points, it was the point, a uh, 45 by Clark, then Tommy Carr was out wing back. He set Vinnie uh, Murphy up for one, and then here he got one. Now, I think it could have been 15-12 maybe at that stage, and it was like, kind of you're thinking game on, but it wasn't really game on at all in the end.
2: I don't. I don't understand why it wasn't. You see, once uh, Paul Clerk, you saw him pinging over two. One was a forty-five. One was from beyond the forty-five. Like you know, they had a lot of like weapons in their in their arsenal. They, they didn't need to panic. Like I mean, you, know, I've always heard like uh, there's this drill that you would do with your team to show that in the last five minutes you'll get six chances to score. You know, so you don't need to panic. You know, people think you need to go, but you'll you'll get six chances even with the other team having the ball and stuff. But um, well, it's probably. That's from a few years ago. Now people are getting very good at controlling the ball, but like back then, like they, they could have, they could have just kept plugging away. Like once you score one, like there's two points in it, and then the kicker, like we won that kicker, and then like you know, that, that's the sort of margins that the game goes on. But you're right. I don't, I don't know why they kept going back after a goal chance, and they had that panic through the team then, where they, they, the passes were wasteful. There was a couple. Uh, somebody hit one over the sideline. There was another one trying to hit the Murphy, and it went out right over the end line. And it was just long, rangey passes that were just they, they, they sort of showed off a team that were that were in panic mode at that stage, thinking that they need to scramble something very quickly. Whereas the reality is they had a lot of time.
0: Yeah, I think you're right, and I think uh, Vinny Murphy had a poor wide in the second half off his right, where he kind of hooked it. And when you, when you're this kind of talisman up front, where you know you're catching these great balls, that's very, very deflating when you know somebody brilliant like him kicks a bad kind of wide then you have the, the goal chance misses it all just looked like it was completely frustrating um, for Dublin and Donegal you know looked like they were enjoying the game Do, Dublin looked like it, the whole weight of the world was on their shoulders
2: Yeah and like, I think probably what swung the whole thing I you know Declan Bonner got the last score but
0: Manus, Manus
2: Boyle got an unbelievable point where he had, he had boys hanging off and Tony had done good work but this was just from, like, one long kick. <laughs> this goal possession game went down to Tony Boyle. He got it to Manus Boyle. And they, he just threw his boy hanging off him, and he swung it over. And that was just seconds after Charlie Redman had a goal chance. And then Lenny Murphy just had that really bad wide, as you said. Like, he was, like, three, three meters out or whatever, and he pulled it across the goals. And, like, off the back of that, goal went down and scored this point that looked very hard to be putting away. And they just did put it away. And that was probably the difference. And probably very demoralizing for Dublin.
0: Yeah, did you like it the way the players lined up in their positions for the national anthem?
2: <laughs> I actually had this written down, and it's all like a, you didn't even write that in your notes. But a lot of your notes, I had written down the same thing, and that was one of them. The players standing on their own with their with their opposite number
0: for the national anthem. That's that's like I think your your day would have done that a bit as well, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely did that in my day. Yeah, I remember in I think I was saying on the show before in the two thousand and seven Leinster final. Liam Kearns told us to get down into our positions and let if if Dublin want to line up across the field. Now we, it it was in vogue. I, I was looking at the '96 hurling final and they were they were in huddles. So it must have changed mm. in around the mid '90s. And in 2007, and we uh, we were all waiting in our positions for the national anthem, and we were there ready to eyeball Dublin coming down. Dublin players coming down to. Uh, into their positions and I was like you own it and they're coming into it I thought it was a good bit of sports psychology for Liam current there
2: yeah there is something very powerful now though with Dublin's lineup, <laughs> and they're just lined up like, around the 45 or whatever it is and then you see the big screen and like these like superstars or right <laughs> the cameras panning across and I, I know everyone's looking up at the flag it's above the big screen and I always think it looks very imposing and very scary when you see all these Dublin players like in. If this is why you're coming up against and just seeing them one by one if I, was, if I was Dublin that's exactly what I would be doing still just lining up arm to arm another team yeah that's probably
0: not a bad way of approaching it like just standing ready for it yeah it'd be interesting to see some of them because let's be honest there's not much uh, it's not like I don't know what the, I, the, I see your point with Dublin definitely But is there any difference, what does a team get out of it? Like, I mean, it seems like it was brought in for not really an intimidation factor, more of a morale kind of thing, let's link arms or whatever. You know, I think it was more, not sure why it started. One team obviously started and in true GA fashion, everybody just copied it, not knowing why they're doing it.
2: Yeah, and there probably is no real reason for it. Like, I I don't think Dublin started it because of that reason. Like, it's just... It's one of those ones, you know, where you're told to link in the huddle when somebody's talking. Like you don't have to be doing it all the time and, and you're told to shut up when you're stretching when it would actually be good to be talking sometimes. it's just one of those things, yeah. It's another way of just like showing that you're under control. This is what we do at this point. Not even my link arm for the national anthem, like it's just a I don't know, it's another way of showing that you're honest when actually it doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah. Funnily enough, it was very noticeable, the Armagh flags down in the Donegal end. We know Ulster stick together. Yeah. They, were, they, they were beaten by Meade. I think it was 10 points to 2-5. Trevor Giles scored 1-2. So I'm sure, uh, you know, that it's funny when you see 1992 and then these Armagh and and Mead players who we all, you know, come to come to know were in the minor match. I, I really enjoy watching these old games, I have to say. That's ah, <laughs> good. This whole
2: this whole thing is good. But um, actually, ten years later, I was at my first All Ireland final, uh, 2002, Armagh Kerry, and Derry won the minor final, the the game before that, and yeah, like there's loads of Derry fans there, and they were all cheering on Armagh as well. I do like. If, remember, you said that if a team from your county was on uh, and wins the county title, and like you sort of be up for them because they're leash Would you have that with Leinster at all, no?
0: Not really. Like, I couldn't see myself. I. It's hard to know. Like, I mean, you have to go through a lot of years in the doldrums to get to that point where you're hoping your rivals win. <laughs> and Ulster teams were in those doldrums, so you were in it together. So, like, I mean, definitely not in my playing days. I'd be hoping a team in Leinster would lose rather than win. <laughs> rather than win. Yeah. You know? it, especially if you were beaten or whatever. But, like, I can see where the, the idea would, you know, come with counties who, if they've all shared... Uh, you know, an unsuccessful couple of decades where you'd actually start rowing behind each other, maybe, or something like that. We're In Leinster, we're just used to Dublin winning now, so anybody... Uh, <laughs> not, there, there's not All that kind of inter-rivalry is gone because nobody can win anything. Right, come here, we're, we're rambling here. We'll come back with performance of the weekend. it's great to finally get the interview, Yeah. Oh really, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah why yeah, is it great? Why do you not do many interviews? I don't know really. Yeah, I wasn't being asked to do a whole while. Really? Yeah. Okay. Have you ever rang me? We, I know we spoke about the defensive side of things. If you're coming in and you want to be, if you want to be the woolly Parkinson and, and just play for myself and, and in, an inter-county corner forward isn't just... Sp- hatching inside either no, you know, no, he's, no. He's, yeah, unfortunately for you it won't last forever you can ask ex-players that you can ask her, you know that yourself will you? yeah um, mine never started at all yeah, well, <laughs> that's, that's neither here nor there okay performance of the weekend um conan and the first one's man is Manless boyle absolutely outstanding uh he was from play and from freeze. His freeze were, you know, flawless. Um, and interestingly, he was man of the match in the under-21 All-Ireland final. He got nine, I think, that day, and four of those were from play. So not a bad record for Manus Boyle well to have to play in two All-Ireland finals and be man of the match in both of them.
2: No, Mattes Boyle just one of those players, isn't he? Just like rocks up these big scores and and doesn't think twice about it. Like we, I like me, me and you had talked before about like the most we'd ever scored in a game, but like you're down at like one three, one four, whatever it is, and the, Boyle just thinks nothing of scoring 9-10 points. Like it's it's LeBron James stuff back in nineteen ninety two, and um yeah, like in a real like not just a free taker, like a, a like dead accurate from free, but like wins his own ball. He's tough. He'll take men on bit of skill and just like out of his hand as well. He just curves it over like he's a Rolls-Royce of a player.
0: Rolls, yeah, and like you're right. Winning your own ball was very important back then, especially in the inside line, because they were bombing in on top of you, and you were no good to anybody if you couldn't win your own ball, or else kind of maybe adapt and get around in front of somebody who could win win their own ball. But he won ball over his head. He tracked back and made a block down. It was a complete tour de force um, performance um, from him.
2: Yeah, and it's, there is something in that. Like, so I think obviously we're we're in a better place now that forwards aren't just being hammered any sort of ball. at. like the players are actually trying to pass it and have a bit of appreciation on the pass for them. But there's almost a happy medium there where it's like you know that old thing: is let the ball in and we'll try to win it. Like, like at some stage, like as well, the forward does have to fight for some ball. And like you know, we talk yeah. about if somebody's in the full in the full forward line, you'll, you'll play them a riskier pass, and you will play somebody in the half forward line or whatever. But like, at some level you do you have to play it in and let them try and win it and if they're not winning it then can somebody else win
0: a tougher ball because if you just keep winning a handy ball you're not always going to get somewhere No, no definitely not and like I mean what I don't like about the whole thing you know when people give out about the possession game that they're you know that we're kind of had for the last seven or eight years with backwards passing they often say do you want to go back to the lumping the ball down aimlessly. And I'm kind of thinking, well, I would actually prefer to go back to that lumping the ball aimlessly (laughs) because I enjoyed that. I absolutely enjoyed this game more than any game that I would have seen in most games I've seen in the championship for the last eight or nine years. And plus, often when you talk about the aimless hoofing and all, it was probably 70s, 80s football. You know, when people want to go back to the catch and kick football, it's more the Kerry Tyrone one we saw last week. You know, I think the Naughties probably reached a point where they had the balance of controlled passes in with, you know, predominant kick passing, support running. You know, all those kind of things. Mm. I think that I, I have a, a my, you know, kind of memory of nineteen nineties football. I think when you look back at Down playing, um, they were outstanding to watch. Um. You know, I think '90s football, the game had probably was starting to change around more of a focus of getting in good ball. You know, rather than let's be honest, the '70s, early '80s was a lot of aimless kicking. So the, the point I'm making is, when people kind of say, that we want to go back to that catch and kick?" What year what are you talking about? You know, I don't think anybody ever makes. <laughs> the, I don't think anyone makes the argument to say we want to go back to '1970s or early or '80s football. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think hope, hopefully Dublin and Kerry can lead the way in this generation. Like, you know, obviously we have the two Finals, which are two of the best games in a long, long time. And their, that's a minority at the minute. But, like, if, if those two, like, like, look at that game where you have, they have Clifford and Conor Callahan and Paul Mannion and whoever else are trying to play the ball into them and they're going to win ball. If you can get that more now coming, coming through, and obviously they're the two best teams, hopefully they, they inspire the rest of them to follow.
0: Yeah, the maybe Martin McHugh he was outstanding as well. Like I mean, he's right up there for man of the match. Um, didn't score in the second half, but he was on a lot of ball and he was backtracking. He was doing a lot of uh, donkey work. And like I mean, talking to Tony Boyle, Martin McHugh was really there. You know, he was their on-field captain. He was their leader. He was the one that spoke in the dressing room. And interestingly, he was saying it was actually against Derry in the nineteen ninety two final where they were a man down at half-time and Martin McHugh stood up after McAniff and he says, we have to hold the ball we have to play possession football because we're a man down and that's where they really frustrated Derry and had a famous win against Derry being a man down because Derry didn't know what to do with a team not driving the ball kind of back 50-50 against him <laughs>
2: that's brilliant yeah like he, like, and he was in the wars as well wasn't he like he just um, I think the hardy player a hardy player and real skill as well. <laughs> like you know, um, and like yeah, won, won one last final ball off the referee at the very end. He didn't let it go. He won
0: that ball. Yeah. The ref had to give up. Two things about it: he turned his he turned the elastic in his shorts down, um, which I wouldn't be a fan of, and he had the Puma King tongues turned upwards, which I absolutely wouldn't be a fan of either. And it's lucky he was such a brilliant player because to, if I saw these two things on a player, I would be like I'm getting the I'm getting the I'm getting a slap at this fella. Right.
2: <laughs> well, I think if you're that good though, you, you can do this stuff, like you can set the trends. It's, it's when the average players come along and start doing this nonsense. That's when you start
0: worrying. Yeah. I'm putting Brian Murray, Anthony Malloy and Cunningham who came on, um Barry Cunningham came on in midfield. and am giving all of them a nomination all together because throughout the whole game I thought Brian Murray was brilliant in the first half, arguably a match. Well, really, he was a match uh, for Anthony Malloy. Anthony Malloy probably, uh, well, not probably, was a better all round footballer, and he got on an awful lot of ball right throughout the game. And then you have um, Barry Cunningham coming on, a kind of a wrecking ball type of player where you're thinking, Jesus, Murray's gone off. It could be in a bit of bother here. And suddenly you have this complete live wire of a midfielder a fella that would probably run through you for a shortcut. You know that was kind of like nice. a raw, pure raw kind of player, but was a brilliant ball winner.
2: Yeah, I can't actually get over how often Anthony Malloy was springing up like on the ball, off the ball. Like, yeah. and I don't, I don't know how he covered all the ground that he did. Like he was just eating up yards for fun. Like you know when we said when the ball went in, he was the one that was tasked to go in and double up on Danny Murphy, a full, a full forward, he was gonna the full back, and then. He was the one in midfield who was dominating, and he was the one that was setting up attacks. Like sometimes half passing us onto a goal chance, so it it was unbelievable, like how how much ground he covered and did it so well.
0: No, he did. He definitely did. He was on a load of ball, and it kind of looked like he was always wrecked as well. Like I mean you, we might have to pull this lad off and give him a rest there at at some stage. <laughs> the way he the way he was running. I thought Noel Haggerty did well, even though in a weird way he got on a load of ball. He won a great break um for a boil free. Um, after Dublin got it in, got it back to three points. You, you would not say Desi wasn't too bad either, but probably Noel Hegarty would have would have shaded it. He was one of the young players on the team himself, Hegarty and Tony Boyle. They were the kind of fresh new faces on what was a pretty experienced team um, at that stage.
2: Yeah, I'd say uh, there's a good argument. Noel Haggerty's one of the one of the better players, and everyone an all star. How like, you know, he was uh, had a good career with Donegal. Like I'd say Jesse Farrell maybe screwed over a bit by the tactics, like he probably could have showed more for Dublin than, than he did. Every time he had the ball, he looked dangerous. But um no, I definitely had Haggerty and John Joe Doherty down just as two like potential performances the weekend. Yeah, no, definitely.
0: I, probably, I suppose for the Dublin side, Vinnie Murphy never stopped trying the whole game. Um like if you were an outsider watching that game, you go, God man, that, that fella's a freak. Nobody plays football like him. I think Tony Boyle had a very good game as well as a target man in a different way to Vinnie Murphy, um, Tony Boyle winning everything that was put out in front of him and breaking left and right. Whereas Vinnie was a, a another target man, uh, number 14, but played it in a complete, well, not in a completely different way. Uh, mostly actually his kind of fetches were coming from the, the Keith bar freeze. Yeah. Would you, would you have, would you have Keith
2: Barr in there as well? Because like, I, I thought that he was worth a shout to nomination.
0: Yeah, I don't know, I think McHugh gave him too much trouble, I think at the end of the day there's no point in being on a lot of ball if Martin McHugh is, you know, running the show, you know yeah. that kind of, so I thought Bar, yeah, I top Bar was all right, but at the same time you know, you, you're you getting roasted there mate, you know, I, I, I don't want to see you getting a hand pack, because Keith great looked great on the ball and, you know, but at the same time if you're centre half back and you're getting run ragged, and then not only was he being run ragged, then he starts following him and leaving the whole centre open. So technically, yeah. technically, I don't think he played a blinder, even though he's very good on the ball.
2: I'm just, I'm just, uh, I've got a blind spot for a for a ball playing centre back. I'll, I'll do whatever, whatever kick he gets him to get them, to get them in the conversation. We'll
0: we'll will we'll do a, we'll do a final where Kevin Moran is bombing off the field, and you'll have you'll you'll really. Uh, um, lose your mind altogether. Look, we we'll get performance of the weekend here. Say we have to give it to Manus Boyle, closely followed by Martin McHugh. But Manus Boyle, you'd have to say throughout the game was outstanding. Like I mean, in the forwards, different array of points from play and from freeze. We didn't even mention Declan Bonner, who was very good as well. Um, um, he was good, but look, Manus Boyle wins performance of the weekend. So congratulations to him. And that's all we've time for, uh, Conan. We come back on Thursday we might do another match or we might do a different type of show um, we'll, I'll decide tomorrow and see, see what we're going to do so we'll talk to you on Thursday good luck I'm not
1: finished yet it took me a long time
2: to get here both players have, have spoken with each other and
1: uh... And um, they forget what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to,
0: to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys.
1: But these fellas, will get such a f-ing shit shock next Saturday evening that we will put him back in their houses for ten years.